Hello, I'm Charlie Bachtel, founder CEO of Cresco Labs, and I'm proud to work in cannabis because uh, I've never seen an industry that has the ability to create so much social impact in win-win-win scenarios. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Proud to Work in Cannabis podcast. Been really excited for this episode. Have one of my oldest industry friends, Charlie Bachtel, who is the founder and CEO of Cresco Labs. Charlie, I was trying to think the first time we met. I mean, was it 2016, 2017? Oh, I remember it. It was, okay. uh, yeah, it, I think year wise, it might be 2016, 2017, something like that. Um, at uh, MJ Biz in Vegas, I think it was a coffee uh, kind of introduction, and uh, you turned me on to what is one of my favorite uh, podcasts, which is how I built this, and uh, and we've stayed in touch ever since. Uh, you're, yeah, you're totally right. I think we were some of the only people doing coffee meetings at like 7:30 a.m. at mm-hmm. MJ Biz. Really, the people making the most out of the trip. Mm-hmm. And then I also have a really memory of you, me, and Dina, like riding in the back of a car out to one of your facilities. And I remember AirPods had just come out. So we like all had our AirPods in and we were doing calls all in the car on like separate calls. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, I think we've had, we've had some fun adventures. Even (laughs) we were just talking the last one in DC. It was great to see you down in DC. The, uh, was it maybe a month or two ago? Yeah. Well, a lot that we want to cover today to, to start out with, I would love to for our viewers to hear how you decided to even take the step and decide to go into the cannabis industry. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll try to give you the condensed version because I could go long with this. So at a, at a, at a very high level, uh, you know, as I mentioned on the intro, like why I'm, why I'm proud to work in cannabis, it, uh, the, the first time I really thought about getting into the industry was when my, my current home state of Illinois passed the Compassionate Use of Medical Cannabis Act. And I remember it was August 1st of 2013. Um, you know, I'm familiar with the subject matter um, my whole life. I grew up in Northern Arizona in a fairly progressive town. Uh, you know, cannabis, cannabis consumption was not a, a, a very stigmatized issue uh, in my house or in the community I grew up in. But I, I could tell you, I also did not expect this to be the path that my career went down. And, um, but it was, it, it was kind of right place, right time, right background. And, um, yeah, I, I, I could tell you within, within about 48 hours of that law passing, um, me reading, uh, the law that night, I went home, I read it for those that don't know my background, I'm an attorney by trade. I was, um, an attorney in the banking space at the time and, and sort of dealing with, was maybe three, four years into uh, dealing with the, the sort of the regulatory tsunami that came into the banking industry post the um, kind of the, the great recession of 2008. And um, what I saw was this incredible new perspective on cannabis, where uh, Illinois was truly trying to create an industry, a real industry. Um, uh, a, a trustworthy industry that could sort of address some of the the maybe preconceived notions or concerns that 
that sort of the general population that wasn't uh, as familiar with the cannabis industry at the time may have had, you know, legacy kind of stigma stuff. And Illinois was trying to develop a structure that could really kind of address it. And it seemed like they were, they were looking for people that had um, maybe some of the, the capabilities in the background that uh, someone like me could, could bring and cannabis could, could meet up with uh, somebody who had, you know, regulatory compliance business background and create an industry that, that could change perspectives truly, um, you know, lead with regulatory compliance and, and develop something that, that could show um, a state, a population that cannabis can be a normalized industry, a professionalized industry, and and an industry of the future. So again, short version, uh, within 48 hours, I knew this was the most interesting thing I would ever see in my life. Something that impacts, you know, the, 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 the way that people think about uh, medicine, the way that people think about criminal justice. Uh, it was part of a, a huge shift in just cultural perspective at the time, and also clearly creates a, a new industry out of something that's been around for 5,000 years. So I, like, again, still to this day, it's the most fascinating thing I've ever seen. I, I read about it when I wake up, I read about it when I go to bed at night. And that's, that's what got me to take that first step in looking into it. And there's a lot more that comes after, but yeah. I'll leave it there. Yeah. So after, so this first 48 hours, you're reading the law, you're, you're super excited about it. I think it's super interesting, similar to our favorite podcast of like, how do you actually go about taking those steps. And so it's like, you're like, I'm, this is what I'm doing. I mean, what did you do next that, you know, on our, you know, 72? Yeah. So the, it's something that I talk about. I, I have the good fortune uh, to have been invited to be an adjunct professor at, at Northwestern Law School. And uh, this is now like five years ago, uh, still, still doing it. And I, I teach a course on, uh, the regulatory and legal issues in the emerging cannabis industry. And I start each one of those um, courses by telling the class, like, look, it, it kind of blows my mind that I'm here at a school that never would have accepted me as a student. My, my sister went there, but she's way smarter than, than I am. Uh, wouldn't accept me as a student teaching a course on a topic that would have gotten me thrown out um, had, I, had I been uh, allowed in. And the other thing I tell them, because it's part of the entrepreneurship clinic at the law school, is um, the, everybody in the room has kind of STEM backgrounds and, and want to figure out how to um, sort of pivot with their backgrounds and get into a more entrepreneurial emerging type opportunity. And I tell them, look, what I've learned about being an entrepreneur is there's two parts to it. You've got to be able to one spot the opportunity. If you can't see it, you'll never be able to pursue it. Uh, but the second thing is you, you have to figure out what you are going to contribute to help that opportunity achieve its potential. When, when I've seen those two things come together is where I've seen incredibly successful entrepreneurial endeavors take shape. And I, I do feel like it was uh, just great fortune for me that, that I, I felt like when I saw this cannabis opportunity in an hour 72, I'm looking at it and I'm saying, like, I've just been through five years of craziness in this in this industry that I'm in, where regulation was flying at us from every different possible angle, every two weeks, three weeks, we were we were a state um, we were a state licensed uh, bank 
and so not federally chartered. So every state we operated in was different. California was different than Illinois was different than Florida. And it, it went from, you know, unregulated to heavily regulated overnight. And uh, also had this um, post-mortgage meltdown. It had this stigma of uh, a negative stigma attached to it. So how do you build a business that gains the trust of your uh, other stakeholders, your consumers, your regulators, your local community, et cetera. I feel like I had five years of training for cannabis before I looked at cannabis as an industry. So again, for me, it kind of stars aligning internally. And then again, stars aligning just objectively. Like again, that law was passed August 1st of 13. I want to say, um, Sanjay Gupta's uh, first documentary, uh, Weeds on CNN, aired within like two weeks. And then the Cole Memo came out again within all in August. So in the first 30 days that I'm looking at this opportunity for the first time ever, you have three of the most substantial, important watershed things happen to this subject matter. A state that really kind of wanted to try and figure out a way to normalize and professionalize uh the medical correspondent on cnn starting a documentary with apologizing that he should have looked harder and read more research that was being done in other countries on an issue and and true medical benefits associated with it and then that cole memo federal government coming out and saying look as long as states design programs that address the way that we think about cannabis we'll let the states run with it those are truly watershed watershed moments in the history of cannabis. And I was like front row and eager uh, to, to, to learn uh, right then. What were your, at the time, so 2013, all these things are happening at the same time. And also for people listening that maybe haven't had this, like when entrepreneurs, at least in my experience, sounds like yours, have this idea, they like cannot stop obsessing. And then to have so many like crazy things happen in the same month, I'm sure it was just wrapping you up, consuming you? What were your friends and family thinking? Because 2013 is definitely a different moment than 2023. So I'm always curious what people say to their friends and family. Yeah. No, and I always have to remind people too of like, take your 2023 hat off and and remember what cannabis, the public perception of cannabis was in 2013 was very different. And let alone at a public level, at a legislator level, at a regulator level, at a law enforcement level. Like it, it was... Um, so funny enough, uh, like I said, I grew up in a household where there was no negative stigma associated with cannabis. Um, and I, I, and she's not embarrassed by it, but still to this day, my, my parents are daily consumers. You know, it's, it, it, it was totally fine. The, the person that objected, <laughs> initially objected most to this was my mom, uh, told her, told her about it, uh, that, you know, this, uh, Illinois passed this law and I'm, I'm you know, been at that point, I think I'd been about three, four weeks into the research and the evaluation and just true, like you said, passionately digging into this. It's fascinating. And told her, my family about it. Um, she said, look, uh, I, I grew up in a place called Sedona. There's a film festival there every year. She, she loves attending the film festival. And she said, I just saw a documentary um, called Code of the West. And she said, I want you to watch this documentary because what, what it sounds like you're telling me you want to do sounds a lot like what this, this group of people wanted to do also. And um, 
if you still want to do it after seeing the documentary, then uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'll totally support you. Uh, and so I watched Code of the West, and interestingly enough, our, I think our mutual friend Chris Lindsay is, is actually in it. And I, to, I told him that, and he he helps me. He guest lectures in my Northwestern class. Like I, Chris is fantastic. I never thought that I would again our paths would cross the way that they have. But watch the documentary, and again, I it was a it was an unfortunate uh, story in that documentary that focused on, and, and honestly, that to, to my knowledge, like one of if not the only state program to kind of go backwards. Um, but the, the way that they were talking about sort of creating the gold standard um, of, of, of regulation and compliance, I, I knew that there was another level that could be achieved. So at that point, I, I was comfortable saying, yeah, I, I, similar, but I know there's another level that could be achieved. And again, I felt like I was a, the, the skill set of what I had been forced to go through and develop those muscles that I had to develop in the banking space over those years prepared me, um, to help shepherd, uh, the cannabis industry in the direction that I saw the Illinois wanting to go with it. And then, yeah, that was, that was it. I was, I was, after I watched the documentary and let her know, um, nothing but support and, and were you were you a dad yet, or did you be, you became a dad after all of this? I can't remember your timeline. Uh, baby, baby, first yeah, uh, first daughter was born while I was writing the Illinois uh, app. She was born in, in yeah, she was born in June of, of fourteen, and apps were apps were finally due I think in August or September if I remember correctly. So yeah, there's a pretty there's a pretty cool picture of me with the her you know in one of those baby Bjorns on my chest, and I'm. Uh, I'm working hard on the app and on the app. I've got a beer. Yeah. That that's awesome. And so it's like all I, I just feel like it's always super interesting to hear what's going on in people's lives. So it's like you're getting ready to submit the application, you're becoming a first time dad, you're combating your mom who like maybe doesn't think you should go into this. So there's always so many factors that go into play when you're launching a business. Obviously the application was successful. Can you walk us through that first day, the first day that you op- that you opened up and what was that like? So for those that haven't been part of an application process, I, I, the only thing I could tell you is they're brutal. Um, brutal. Absolutely brutal. They're, you know, the final five days are crazy. And then the, the last three usually rarely uh, include any sleep. Um, and we, we were no different. And um, the funny thing is, Afterwards, one of my my co-founders who wasn't, wasn't there at the end of it. So, well, how do you how do you think it went? I said, unfortunately, I think it was like a, a B plus. Uh, I said, well, we'll see. And um, if I remember correctly, I think there were 172 applications that were submitted in Illinois, and we ended up getting the highest score, second highest score, third highest score on our three apps. So, if, if, oh my gosh, if, I I would tell you that was probably one of the more validating. Um, uh, moments in, in my career was that sort of just showed that we were thinking about this the right way. Um, we kind of understood what they were looking for and, and it met, it meshed up with, with the way that I, I thought this should be done fairly well. So that, maybe you could have gotten into Northwestern after all that. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, look, it's, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm uh, pleased to be an adjunct. Uh, the, so then you go, uh, another, you go another kind of the it's, first, it's crazy right out of the gate. And you've got to, you got to tighten up the capital 
resources because again we were a little surprised at the success that we had so there was a little cleanup work to do on making sure that we had everything uh, the capital that we needed in order to move forward as everybody probably knows this is a very capital intensive um, industry and um, again timing was good for us in 2013 2014 2015 when the public perception was starting to change there was a lot more um, interested investors at that time than there are today um, so we were just again stars aligning kind of fortunate in in when and where and how we got into the space uh, there's about a year worth of building out three, you know, 40,000 square foot plus cultivation and production facilities. And uh, we brought, we brought product to market. Originally we were only on the production side. We were not on retail. So I think we, we sold our first product, um, into the market in the very beginning of, uh, 2016, probably January of 16. The market had just launched. It was, a look, I still have, I have the pictures from the, from the first batches that were being sent out. And it's just, it's hilarious to see, you know, that it's being done by like eight people. And, uh, and you know, everything is, is, is in three totes. And uh, it just, it's, a, it's very different uh, than, than what it is now, but super proud. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I would say credit to um, the Cresco team um, that's, that's been a part of this from the beginning. Like we never, we, we haven't rested much to, to celebrate. We, we acknowledge and we appreciate the things that we've been able to accomplish. But as you said at the beginning, I say it all the time, it's one foot in front of the other. Like we're still so far from getting cannabis to where cannabis needs to get to that, uh, it's tough to, tough to take a breath. It's super tough to take a breath. And I want to get into where cannabis needs to go. Could, could we quickly talk about the going public experience and what that was like and what that was like for, for you to take the business public? Yeah, I would say it's it, not the traditional go public story because you know, with, with cannabis being federally illegal, um, for those that might not understand that, you know, the publicly traded cannabis companies are publicly traded in Canada. Uh, on the Canadian Securities Exchange, which is the the junior exchange in Canada, so it's not even it's not even the senior exchange in another country. It's a it's a junior exchange, but they're the, they're the only they're the they're the largest exchange that will allow uh, operators in a federally illegal industry like cannabis to to list. We're I'm sure we'll get we'll get to it, but we're, you know we're putting in a lot of work to change that and and make it so these great U.S. companies. The big ones, the mediums, the smalls, and those that aren't in it yet have access to all of the financial services and funding sources that any state legal business should have. But uh, going public in Canada was it was exciting, but it um, you know it, it, we're still we're subject to the whims of a of a of a market up there. Not to get too nuanced or into the weeds on it, but. It's not like going public in the U.S. It was a it was a matter of necessity. It was where can you get um, access to the capital that you need to build out that next building or that next store or go into that next state at a cost that is lower than uh, the way that we had raised money up to that point, which is tons and tons of meetings with private capital sources. So it, again, exciting, great, but. Um, not where we need to get cannabis to. I, I think we'll have a different experience the, the day when we're, we're able to go live on a, 
on a, on a senior U.S. exchange. Yeah, so let's that's perfect segue. Let, let's move into that. You've played a really big role in helping to form laws and helping to bring the industry forward. Can we talk a little bit about safe banking and specifically how that started and just like some history and, and what happened last year with it? Because I think a lot of folks are feeling pretty discouraged in this space right now, feeling like it's not going to happen and that we've tried so many times. So we'd love to hear from from you, the history and what happened last year, and then we'll talk about how we go forward. Yeah. So for me, like the, just even taking that one step back of like why we're so engaged for, as I mentioned at the very beginning, like why I'm in this space, right? It's the most fascinating thing I've ever seen from a from a social impact perspective and a win-win-win creation ability. I've never seen anything like this. And so it's, it's always been fundamental at Cresco. We are a stakeholder-focused organization. Um, there are a lot of stakeholders in what happens with cannabis from, again, the communities that you're in, the lot line neighbor who's across the fence from you to the local chief of police, to the school board president, to, again, regulators, legislators in different community groups. So there's a lot of stakeholders that are involved here. And when, you're, when your industry is illegal, uh, from our perspective, you better be stakeholder focused. You better understand what those needs of the of the groups and the perspectives around you have, and you better try and address them. Um, and so for us, it's always been the focus has been making sure that cannabis uh, continues to develop in a responsible and respectable way. Uh, we, we, what we say here is responsible equals respectable equals robust. Like for, for the industry to be what everybody wants this cannabis industry to be, it starts with being responsible and respectable. And so that's a message that we, we focus on a lot. We engage in, in, that, in that government affairs world, because again, when your industry is illegal, uh, if you wanna operate, let alone expand, you've gotta change laws to do it, you better engage. Engagement is a core value of, of our company. So anyway, that's a little background there, but that's why it is, it's one, it's, it is fundamental to who we are is to make sure cannabis keeps progressing for the benefit of cannabis. Then we can all have fun competing against each other, but we've got to make sure cannabis is successful first. Um, that takes us to DC. Uh, you know, last year, I, I think, you know, if I could summarize 2022's legislative initiatives in DC uh, very quickly, I would say, I think there was a when you when your champions your quote unquote champions of your issue at a legislative level really have a knowledge base that's still would be considered fairly superficial and again not necessarily their fault um they have a thousand things that they have to think about continuously and so really the obligation is on the industry to educate them to be a resource for them so they can make educated decisions as they make decisions on how to um, you know, proceed with this issue in particular. And I think there was maybe a, a bit of a, um, a late start on, on pursuing a viable path last year. Uh, you know, CAOA was discussed earlier in the year, the, the Schumer-Booker-Wyden bill. And, um, and really, it's great that our subject matter has a champion like the Senate Majority Leader. I think a lot of industries would 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 love to have the Senate Majority Leader be the leader on their issue, but it, that also comes with then uh, sort of the the obligations and nuances that 
that come with that person being your leader. And, and um, you know, they wanted to put forth a more comprehensive uh, legalization bill, which again, I, I don't know that you'll have too many people in this industry object to it. it that's where we all want to get to. But it, there, there may have been an underestimation on how difficult that would be to achieve last year. So when the pivot came to a more um, measured and incremental approach, like safe banking, uh, it was late in the process. And uh, I think it, it just because of Again, there's there's nuance to the way that any of these state government work, the state governments work, let alone the federal government. Um, there's there's process, there's procedure, there's dynamics that are at play there. Nothing is independent of uh, anything else. Right? There's connectivity between all these moving parts. So uh, you have to thread a needle anytime you get legislation passed. And I think what we what we found at the end of last year was just the 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 Good policy was there, but it didn't make good good politics at the time. And unfortunately, I've ha- I've heard that saying too many times uh, over the last ten years to forget it. But yeah, uh, good policy doesn't always make good politics, and I think we were a victim of that at the end of last year. That's why you also see where cannabis started 2023 was right off the bat, kind of following what they call regular order. Um, that a bill goes through in order to become law, it goes to committee, it has hearings, like oh, that's why all these these things that we're seeing develop in DC in the first four months of the year, five months of the year, have been really encouraging. So that's why I, I, I look, I'm as disappointed last year as anybody else, but I think the work that was put in last year um, in educating our, our legislative champions on what this industry really is like, um, and, and what would be needed in order for them to achieve the objectives that they have with cannabis was important. And I think even the, the data and the facts that we're seeing develop in the first part of 2023 are important for them to see, uh, again, in what they really need to do from a legislative standpoint to achieve the objectives they have for cannabis this year. So I'm encouraged. Yeah, I remember, I remember when we were in D.C. last year, forget who was speaking to us. It could have, it it might've been speaker John Boehner, but they said like, if you have a backpack and you're hiking up a hill and you keep on putting more and more rocks in the backpack, it's harder to get to the top of the hill. And it seems like, I mean, we added a lot of backpacks into our backpack at the end of last year or, or or not in the end of last year in the, with the, with the comprehensive bill. Yeah. And look, we're we're a uh, we're a maturing industry. I think that's a better way of saying it than we're an immature industry. We're a maturing, <laughs> we're a maturing yeah, industry. Exactly. And I think that we're still we still have a ways to go on that. Like we need we need a we need a cohesive voice uh, in mm-hmm. DC, and that's still one of my my concerns. And one of the things that we're we're working on is there's also kind of a narrative that's developed in in DC that there's there's disagreement and there's kind of there's fragmentation uh, within the industry. And, and we really need to have a, a cohesive voice down there in order to make this, We, you know, just like it is with any other sort of big project you're trying to accomplish, you, you're trying to take away as many of the opportunities to say no to it as possible. Um, you try to make it as simple as possible for them, for, for the decision makers to understand it. And that's, you know, usually putting yourself in the best position possible to get a yes. So when you think about comprehensive voice and comprehensive message, in your opinion, what should that comprehensive voice and comprehensive message be? Like if I'm a business owner and I'm going to DC next week, which I am, 
what exactly should I be saying to the folks that I work with? Or if I'm an industry employee that's having a conversation with somebody, what, in your opinion, is the comprehensive message that all of us need to be getting across? Yeah, the, the kind of cohesive message uh, is really, it is one of, of we, have, we have the opportunity to pass incremental change. I think there is bipartisan support for incremental change here. I think what we all should be doing is we should be trying to make that piece of legislation as good for cannabis as a whole, right? The, the concept of cannabis, we should be trying to make it as good uh, as possible for cannabis as a whole as we can, because they're, they're willing to listen. Uh, the legislators are willing to listen. Um, but right now we've, we've got some different voices uh, in the room saying we need this or we need that or we don't need that or can't do that. And really what I, I think we need to do is just tell them uh, cannabis needs to be treated like a, any other normal state legal business. And that means that we need access to the resources that any other legal state business would have. And again, that, that's in line with what safe banking is. Um, but you know, from, from my perspective, just not only from, again, like the perspective of a big company or medium company, a small company or an entrepreneur trying to get into this space, access to uh, the full suite of financial services and all uh, funding sources are needed for this industry to, to survive and succeed. I like that. Cannabis needs to be treated like any other state legal industry. Yeah. Pretty straightforward. For, for industry employees out there, which there's over 400,000 of them, I hope a lot of them are listening, sometimes it's easy to feel like I'm a patient consultant or I'm a cultivator. Or I don't have a big voice. What can the industry you know, you and I were talking before we got started, there's 400,000 employees. It's a lot more employees oh, than yeah. CEOs. So, so, and they're all extremely passionate about this. What can industry employees do together to help drive this movement forward? I'll make your voices heard. I know it's cliche, right? It's, it's the get out and vote. Like, but it is, it's, the, it, it is, it's that. Um, I can tell you that that that's something that was confirmed for me as I've spent more time in this legislative arena at state levels and in D.C. over the, the last 10 years as, as ever before is um, everybody needs to remember uh, those are elected officials that are representing your interests in D.C. They're there on your behalf. They work for you. They're, that That is true. There's no voice that is more important to a legislator than the voice of a constituent. Um, so if you think about the two senators from each state that are in D.C. on your behalf, um, they want to know the, the people that elected them. They want to know what they want to see them advocate for in D.C. Um, and same with uh, members of the House. And a lot of the members of the House are, are, are even closer to the communities that vote for them because they're up for reelection every two years. Right. So the they're they're usually, you know, in, in wherever your dispensary is, wherever your cultivation production facility is, whoever's congressional district that is, they want to hear from you. And and in and in the you know, the true vein of another kind of common cliche of, you know, the the squeaky wheel or they they listen to the people that make the most amount of noise. Um, because whoever's loudest in the room, whoever gets that attention, gets that attention. And so that that would be the ask, and I think look that that falls on the CEOs 
and the the other sort of management at companies is to activate, to educate and activate. Those are kind of the two things we talk about all the time when it comes to these things, educating and activating, whether it's a legislator, but also whether it's our, our own teams in our own, our own companies of um, educating and activating them is the strongest thing that we could do to get the change cannabis needs. So Charlie, the last topic that I want to talk a little bit about is, is hiring. And for you at Cresco, what do you look for when you're hiring your employees? And in your opinion, who succeeds at Cresco? What's the type of people that are succeeding and be, being really successful within Cresco? In gen- if, if, at the risk of overgeneralizing, what I've seen be successful in this industry is people that are part of the industry because they want to be part of the industry. And, and where I've seen challenges are when people uh, become a part of this industry because they think of the opportunity that the industry kind of creates for them. I think this industry is so challenging with the ebbs and the flows and the, 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 the you have to, we, you know, build the plane while flying it. Like all of those things are true. Uh, you have to love problem solving. You have to love uh, being in an environment that doesn't have a stable foundation because rules can change, regs can change, things happen. You've got to be able to pivot. You've got to be flexible. So that usually takes uh, a certain type of person that really wants to be part of, of again, helping that opportunity achieve its potential. Uh, that's true for the entrepreneur. I would say that's true for uh, any team member that wants to be a part of the cannabis industry too, you've got to you've got to prioritize the success of the industry. And again, from what I've seen all throughout our organization, is where people have that focus on making sure that that cannabis develops the right way and that the industry is successful. That leads to company success and individual success in the organization. I love that. And if you are looking for a job at Cresco, you can go to vanks.com slash Cresco Labs. There's hundreds of jobs. I feel like you are one of the companies that is hiring quite a bit in the space. And to get people pumped up about taking one of those jobs, and my, my last question for you is, what are you most looking forward to over the next, let's call it 24 months in cannabis? What is the thing that if I was joining the industry, potentially joining your company, like what can I be fired up about for the next 24 months? Look, I think just in, in um, looking at this realistically and objectively, like I do just like any other industry, cannabis is not, not a magical industry, right? We're in a, we're in a period of time here in 2023. Um, it's a tough economic environment. And, and there are these sort of moving pieces that you've got to be, you've got to be willing to engage and to problem solve, just like we talked about and be committed to it. But the, the other side of that, right, is I, I truly do feel stronger than I ever have that this is a matter of when, not if, that we get that first piece of federal reform. And I think, uh, again, if, if this aligns with what the individual is interested in, I don't think there's anything cooler. I don't think that there's anything more impressive to myself than having an impact on the development of what is going to be one of the largest consumer products categories in the United States at some point in the near future. Um, so uh, I, 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 nothing would fire me up more than where cannabis is heading. And I do think we're there within the next 24 ish months. Well, good. I, I know you said you guys don't really take a moment to celebrate, but I'm hoping that when the first piece of federal cannabis legislation comes through, we can find, you know, a day to, uh, celebrate a little bit. Uh, I think it's uh, we'll we'll be able to do one cartwheel 
and then it's back and then it's yes. back to work on getting that next piece of, of positive change. Exactly. Well, I'm excited for the one cartwheel. So Charlie, thank you very much for coming on. It's always great to see you and appreciate your time. Great to see you, Carson. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 99.9% of our DNA is identical. It's a 0.1% that truly makes us different and unique. And that's what the show is about. Find out that 0.1% about your favorite guests. Find out what music they like, their first cannabis experience, and even what their room looked like growing up. But more importantly, or as important their journey. Learn what makes them unique on Everything is Personal.